welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio. Smile 
This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.
the chill of night The friends who fled in fear The sound of Peter's tears The way the people cheered Crucify A nightmare coming true before you That was going through your mind. You thought of us, every one of us, and all your love for us caused you to stay. You could have spared.
Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care. Headed who knows where? On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears.
You're listening to Songs of Praise.
Listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise. Oh, no. 
Jesus touched me And now I am no longer the same Oh, He touched me Oh, He touched me Be strong, 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 be strong
been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, This Man Receiveth Sinners. The souls who came to Jesus felt in his presence that even for them there was escape from the pit of sin. The Pharisees had only scorn and condemnation for them, but Christ greeted them as children of God, estranged indeed from the Father's house, but not forgotten by the Father's heart. And their very misery and sin made them only the more the objects of his compassion. The farther they had wandered from God, the more earnest the longing and the greater the sacrifice for their rescue. All this the teachers of Israel might have learned from the sacred scrolls of which it was their pride to be the keepers and expounders. Had not David written, David, who had fallen into deadly sin, I have gone astray like the lost sheep. Seek thy servant. Psalm 119, verse 176. Had not Micah revealed God's love to the sinner, saying, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Micah 7, verse 18. The Lost Sheep Christ did not at this time remind his hearers of the words of Scripture. He appealed to the witness of their own experience, the wide-spreading tablelands of the east of Jordan afforded abundant pasturage for flocks, and through the gorges and over the wooded hills had wandered many a lost sheep to be searched for and brought back by the shepherd's care. In the company about Jesus there were shepherds and also men who had money invested in flocks and herds, and all could appreciate his illustration, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he finds it. These souls whom you despise, said Jesus, are the property of God. By creation and by redemption they are his, and they are of value in his sight. As the shepherd loves his sheep, and cannot rest if even one be missing, so in an infinitely higher degree does God love every outcast soul. Men may deny the claim of his love. They may wander from him. They may choose another master. Yet they are gods, and he longs to recover his own. He says, As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. Ezekiel 34 verse 12. In the parable, the shepherd goes out to search for one sheep, the very least that can be numbered. So, if there had been but one lost soul, Christ would have died for that one. 
The sheep that has strayed from the fold is the most helpless of all creatures. It must be sought for by the shepherd, for it cannot find its way back. So with the soul that has wandered away from God, he is as helpless as the lost sheep, and unless divine love had come to his rescue, he could never find his way to God. The shepherd who discovers that one of his sheep is missing does not look carelessly upon the flock that is safely housed and say, I have ninety and nine, and it will cost me too much trouble to go in search of the straying one. Let him come back, and I will open the door of the sheepfold and let him in. No, no sooner does the sheep go astray than the shepherd is filled with grief and anxiety. He counts and recounts the flock. When he is sure that one sheep is lost, he slumbers not. He leaves the ninety and nine within the fold and goes in search of the straying sheep. The darker and more tempestuous the night and the more perilous the way, the greater is the shepherd's anxiety and the more earnest his search. He makes every effort to find that one lost sheep. With what relief he hears in the distance its first faint cry. Following the sound, he climbs the steepest heights. He goes to the very edge of the precipice at the risk of his own life. Thus he searches while the cry, growing fainter, tells him that his sheep is ready to die. At last his effort is rewarded. The lost is found. Then he does not scold it because it has caused him so much trouble. He does not drive it with a whip. He does not even try to lead it home. In his joy he takes the trembling creature upon his shoulders. If it is bruised and wounded, he gathers it in his arms, pressing it close to his bosom, that the warmth of his own heart may give it life. With gratitude that his search has not been in vain, he bears it back to the fold. Thank God! He has presented to our imagination no picture of a sorrowful shepherd returning without the sheep. The parable does not speak of failure, but of success and joy in the recovery. Here is the divine guarantee that not even one of the straying sheep of God's fold is overlooked, not one is left unsuccored. Everyone that will submit to be ransomed, Christ will rescue from the pit of corruption and from the briars of sin. Desponding soul, take courage, even though you have done wickedly. Do not think that perhaps God will pardon your transgressions and permit you to come into his presence. God has made the first advance. While you were in rebellion against him, he went forth to seek you. With the tender heart of the shepherd, he left the ninety and nine and went out into the wilderness to find that which was lost. The soul, bruised and wounded and ready to perish, he encircles in his arms of love and joyfully bears it to the fold of safety. It was taught by the Jews that before God's love is extended to the sinner, he must first repent. In their view, repentance is a work by which men earn the favour of heaven. And it was this thought that led the Pharisees to exclaim in astonishment and anger, this man receiveth sinners. According to their ideas, he should permit none to approach him but those who had repented. But in the parable of the lost sheep, Christ teaches that salvation does not come through our seeking after God, but through God's seeking after us. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. Romans 3 verses 11 and 12. 
We do not repent in order that God may love us, but He reveals to us His love in order that we may repent. When the strange sheep is at last brought home, the shepherd's gratitude finds expression in melodious songs of rejoicing. He calls upon his friends and neighbours, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So, when a wanderer is found by the great shepherd of the sheep, heaven and earth unite in thanksgiving and rejoicing. Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. You Pharisees, said Christ, regard yourselves as the favourites of heaven. You think yourselves secure in your own righteousness. Know then that if you need no repentance, my mission is not to you. These poor souls who feel their poverty and sinfulness are the very ones whom I have come to rescue. Angels of heaven are interested in these lost ones whom you despise. You complain and sneer when one of these souls joins himself to me, but know that the angels rejoice and the song of triumph rings through the courts above. The rabbis had a saying that there is rejoicing in heaven when one who has sinned against God is destroyed. But Jesus taught that to God the work of destruction is a strange work. That in which all heaven delights is the restoration of God's own image in the souls whom he has made. When one who has wandered far in sin seeks to return to God, he will encounter criticism and distrust. There are those who will doubt whether his repentance is genuine, or will whisper, He has no stability. I do not believe that he will hold out. These persons are doing not the work of God, but the work of Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren. Through their criticisms, the wicked one hopes to discourage that soul and to drive him still farther from hope and from God. Let the repenting sinner contemplate the rejoicing in heaven over the return of the one that was lost. Let him rest in the love of God and in no case be disheartened by the scorn and suspicion of the Pharisees. The rabbis understood Christ's parable as applying to the publicans and sinners but it has also a wider meaning. By the lost sheep, Christ represents not only the individual sinner, but the one world that has apostatized and has been ruined by sin. This world is but an atom in the vast dominions over which God presides. Yet this little fallen world, the one lost sheep, is more precious in his sight than are the ninety and nine that went not astray from the fold. Christ, the loved commander in the heavenly courts, stooped from his high estate, laid aside the glory that he had with the Father in order to save the one lost world. For this he left the sinless worlds on high, the ninety and nine that loved him, and came to this earth to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Isaiah 53 verse 5 God gave himself in his Son, that he might have the joy of receiving back the sheep that was lost. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 1 John 3 verse 1. And Christ says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. John 17 verse 18. To fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ, for his body's sake, which is the church. Colossians 1 verse 24. 
every soul whom Christ has rescued, is called to work in his name for the saving of the lost. This work had been neglected in Israel. Is it not neglected today by those who profess to be Christ's followers? How many of the wandering ones have you, reader, sought for and brought back to the fold? When you turn from those who seem unpromising and unattractive, do you realize that you are neglecting the souls for whom Christ is seeking? At the very time when you turn from them, they may be in the greatest need of your compassion. In every assembly for worship, there are souls longing for rest and peace. They may appear to be living careless lives, but they are not insensible to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Many among them might be one for Christ. If the lost sheep is not brought back to the fold, it wanders until it perishes. And many souls go down to ruin for want of a hand stretched out to save. These erring ones may appear hard and reckless, but if they had received the same advantages that others have had, they might have revealed far more nobility of soul and greater talent for usefulness. Angels pity these wandering ones. Angels weep while human eyes are dry and hearts are closed to pity. Oh, the lack of deep, soul-searching sympathy for the tempted and the erring. Oh, for more of Christ's spirit and for less, far less, of self. The Pharisees understood Christ's parable as a rebuke to them. Instead of accepting their criticism of his work, he had reproved their neglect of the publicans and sinners. He had not done this openly, lest it should close their hearts against him. But his illustration set before them the very work which God required of them and which they had failed to do. Had they been true shepherds, these leaders in Israel would have done the work of the shepherd. They would have manifested the mercy and love of Christ and would have united with him in his mission. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. Enjoy the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. The call had come from overseas, please send someone. The church was expanding from its North American roots to further afield. The plea had come from Europe and the church leaders in the United States had discussed it several times. The need was there. And finally, in 1874, the church voted to send J.N. Andrews as the first official missionary of the church. Despite his wife dying just two years previous, he remained undeterred and set sail with his two young children for Europe. 
the brethren in Europe had been told that they were about to receive the most ablest man in our ranks. What qualified him to be the ablest man in our ranks? At the age of 25, he wrote a paper that was presented at the general conference session that persuaded the church to keep the Sabbath from sunset to sunset. He wrote the book, The History of the Sabbath, at the age of 29. He was elected general conference president at the age of 38. He said he could recite the New Testament by memory and much of the Old Testament, and he secured non-combatant status for Adventists in the Civil War. When as General Conference President, he hosted the first Adventist camp meeting in Wright, Michigan, he would often go out at night and check on the tents to make sure everyone was okay. He was much loved, well-respected, and was sent abroad with the church's blessings. Initially docking in Liverpool, England, before making his way across France to Switzerland, Arriving in Switzerland, the task ahead of him was huge. Although he was not a pioneer missionary, as some work had already taken place before him, there was little structure to work with. There were no printing presses, no publishing houses, and no organized conferences. Jay and Andrew set about the work with an intensity that he was known for. Jay and Andrews and his children quickly learned the French language, making a family covenant that they would not speak anything to each other in the home except French, although German was acceptable at times. His daughter Mary quickly became fluent in the language and became the proofreader for the new magazine entitled Les Signes du Temps. Jay and Andrews wrote over 400 articles for this magazine during the seven-year period that he was in Europe, a remarkable amount considering that he also contracted pneumonia after being there just three years. When the doctor came to visit him, he asked him why he was starving himself because he looked to be in such bad health. Not wanting to overspend, they lived mainly on white bread, graham pudding, potatoes, and sometimes cabbage with very little fruit, milk, or butter. He was counseled to marry again, and it's likely this would have preserved his life as it could have led to him taking better care of himself, but he said he could not. He was particularly heartbroken after the death of his daughter, and when he returned to Europe, he was completely bedridden by 1883 with tuberculosis. The church was concerned and they sent Jay and Loughborough from England to do an anointing service. And his mother also visited him in his final months, but unfortunately he still died young. He charged that no eulogy should appear in the Review and Herald. And while Uriah Smith wanted to publish one, he complied with this request. He was a pioneer a dedicated worker and one of the most intelligent and hard-working ministers in the history of our church. Whilst he received no eulogy after his death, his legacy lived on in far more significant ways. What kind of legacy are you building in your life? If nothing was said publicly or in written form after your death, would the fruit of your life lead to positive change in the life of other people? May we make a commitment to leave such a legacy behind.
view more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com.